Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. As America emerges from the COVID-19 pandemic, what should we expect of the U.S. economy? Today, I'm joined by Michael Strain. Mike is the Arthur F. Burns Scholar in Political Economy and the Director of Economic Policy Studies here at AEI. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me back. Uh, inflation's really high. How did we get here? Well, we got here uh, through several factors. It uh, won't surprise you if I group those factors uh, in two categories, demand and supply. On the supply side, we had supply chain bottlenecks that restricted uh, the ability of um, businesses to produce goods and services. We had a situation where it was hard for businesses to find workers, where the workforce participation rate wasn't recovering from the pandemic as rapidly as people had thought. That was due to a variety of factors, um, concern about getting sick, having to care for uh, children whose classrooms were closed or elderly relatives, things of that nature. Um, it was due in part to pandemic era programs that uh, expanded the generosity of unemployment benefits or that just expanded household savings generally, which uh, put workers in a position where they could be a little choosier about which jobs they took than they, than they normally would be. Um, idiosyncratic factors like semiconductor shortages, all this sort of stuff. So there were a whole bunch of factors that were kind of holding the supply side of the economy back. And those uh, supply side restrictions collided with a huge burst of demand for goods and services on the part of consumers. This uh, extremely strong demand was uh, similarly fueled by by several factors. Uh, the pandemic was coming to an end. Vaccines were more widely available. People could go back out and lead more normal lives. Business activity restrictions were lifted or relaxed. Um, this, uh, this led to um, a recovery of consumer demand. The Fed kept interest rates very low, which uh, helped uh, consumers to spend money. The Fed was uh, attempting to juice the housing sector by purchasing mortgage-backed securities. Um, uh, that uh, not only led to strong demand for, for houses, but it also had spillover effects in other sectors of the economy. Uh, and Congress, through the $900 billion stimulus that was passed in December of 2020 and through the uh, nearly $2 trillion American Rescue Plan that was passed in March of 2021, uh, also uh, strongly juiced consumer demand. And so you had this big burst of demand. Uh, the supply side of the economy responded, but wasn't able to, to respond uh, adequately. And as a consequence, we had, uh, we have had and are having consumer price inflation uh, at the fastest rate in four decades. Are the things causing high inflation right now the same as they were six months ago? 
No, they're they're not. I mean, some of them are similar. Uh, a lot of the inflation we're, we're experiencing now is coming from higher energy prices due to the war in Ukraine, coming from higher food prices due to the war in Ukraine. If you look at measures of inflation that try and remove outliers, or if you look at measures of inflation that try to remove uh, food prices and energy prices, you see that inflation looks different. Um, inflation is still very, very high, uh, but it's not, it's not accelerating. Uh, the consumer price index, for example, when you look at when you look at the consumer price index, but you uh, kick out food and you kick out energy, you see really fast inflation. You see you see the the price level uh, for those goods and services increasing much faster than it normally does. Uh, but uh, over the past you know six seven months, um, it's not it's not the problem's not getting worse. It's not getting better either. You're not seeing uh, core. Uh, you're not seeing the consumer price index minus food, minus energy. You're not seeing inflation fall, but you're not seeing it rise. You are seeing the headline, right. uh, the headline uh, CPI. Well, rise. it seems like whether whether it's accelerating or just kind of staying bad, it keeps being sort of worse than many economists expect. Maybe not you, I don't know. Why they keep getting surprised by inflation? Are some models, do you have a good model? They have a bad model? Are there models that aren't working anymore? I think it's a complicated question. A lot of the a lot of the models that professional forecasters use, forecasters at the Fed, forecasters at banks, forecasters in the private sector, a lot of the models that that those professional forecasters use are um, they're kind of calibrated based on the last several decades of data, and we haven't had inflation over the last several decades. And so, you know, if you want to look at the likely effects of the American Rescue Plan, let's say, um, you want to say, okay, uh, the American Rescue Plan is going to boost GDP by by X amount. That's going to reduce unemployment by Y amount, and that's going to push up prices by by Z amount. Those X, Ys, and Zs. That's a perfectly sensible way to try and understand the likely impacts of uh, of an economic stimulus bill. But those X, Ys, and Zs are estimated on data from a period where, where we didn't have much inflation. And so if you, if you use those X, Ys, and Zs, uh, then you're almost kind of by definition, um, by assumption, you're not going to find uh, a big inflation forecast. If you thought you know, boy, the the economy in 2021 is going to be a whole lot different than the economy was from, you know, 1985 to 2019. You may not want to use those X, Y, and Z estimates. Uh, but then what else are you going to use? Um, because that's where the data are. Uh, so do you go back to the 1970s and, and, and try and estimate X, Y, and Z from there? Or do you go back further? Uh, so it's a very hard forecasting problem, um, but I think the the two kind of key insights um, are that the American Rescue Plan was really, really big, and that the economy in 2021 was different in some important ways. Um, even without the American Rescue Plan, uh, we were in an environment where the unemployment rate was falling, where employment was rising, where the economy was growing. Even without the American 
rescue plan, uh, there were strong tailwinds to demand. Households were sitting on hundreds of billions of dollars of excess savings as a consequence of the pandemic. Uh, the pandemic was, was coming to a conclusion uh, and that was likely gonna lead to a big burst uh, in consumer demand. We had, uh, we were just on the heels of, um, uh, of, a, of, of an economic stimulus bill that was, that was signed into law in December of 2020 that was larger than the Obama stimulus in 2009. And on top of that, strong underlying demand, we had the Fed engaging in quantitative easing, a zero interest rate policy, and then a huge uh, additional fiscal stimulus. The economy is just not going to be able to absorb that. Right without there being a big uh, increase in, in prices. Uh, as we're recording this, uh, literally like about an hour ago, um, the Fed raised interest rates, 75 basis points, biggest hike since 1994. What does the Fed need to do to get inflation down back to, I guess, its 2% target? And will that fire or end up causing a recession? ends up being a recession, is it going to be a modest recession or is it going to be a, a severe recession like we saw like in the early 90s or early 80s? I think the Fed needs to um, reclaim control of the narrative and just kind of generally attempt to take control of the, of the, uh, uh, of the situation more than it has been. You know, you kind of get the feeling that the Fed is a participant in this situation that the Fed is kind of experiencing inflation along with the rest of us and uh you know the fed is is not kind of out ahead of, of this the fed needs to get out ahead of this an important part of getting out ahead of this is kind of reasserting control over the narrative is that because what people believe matters but they have to believe that the fed is in control of inflation yeah that's right there's a large psychological component to inflation where workers are trying to figure out you know what are price is going to be in the future. Businesses are trying to figure out what a price is going to be in the future. Households are trying to figure out what a price is going to be in the future. And, and people's beliefs about what, what prices are going to be like in the future inform their price setting behavior today. So if you're, if you're a worker and you think we're in for two, three, four, five years of high inflation, you want a big raise right now, and you want to condition your employer to expect that you're going to ask for raises in the future. Right, so they got to get control of this narrative. And do they do that with 75 basis points? Do they need to do that with a number of 75 basis point hikes? Is this a good start? Well, I think, I think, I think 75 basis points is a good start. The Fed got it really wrong in 2021. And uh, the Fed was still purchasing mortgage-backed securities in 2022 uh, at a time when Home prices were growing at 20% annual rate month after month. Does the Fed ever get it right? Well, sure. The Fed has engineered soft landings in the past, uh, by which I mean the Fed has slowed the economy at a time when the economy needed to be slowed without causing a recession. You know, certainly Paul Volcker inaugurated a 40-year period where we had relatively low and relatively stable uh, inflation. Chairman Greenspan, for example, understood that Productivity increases in the 1990s would allow for higher wages without necessarily higher prices. You know, the Fed, the Fed's done some important things. Um, um, you said it's engineered these soft landings in the past. 
Does that feel like what's happening now? Is that the likely scenario? I think we took a step toward a soft landing. Uh, we're having this conversation, as you said, about an hour after the Fed decision. The 75 basis point increase was a good step in uh, in the direction of, of the Fed uh, uh, asserting control over, over the narrative. I haven't I haven't dove into the details yet of of the release. I think the press conference is still happening right now. Right. But uh, the Fed has had a completely implausible forecast of the, the future path of the economy where they are predicting price inflation to come down without unemployment going up. I think that I think that seems unlikely. And I think it strikes markets and uh, and other important um, uh, observers as as just patently unrealistic. My understanding is that the is that the forecast that was released today shows unemployment rising. Um, having a more realistic outlook for the future is another important step the Fed can take toward uh, toward getting control of the narrative. Um, another important step is for the Fed to, have a more realistic view of the level of interest rates required to say to not only slow the economy down, but to stop providing support to the economy. Right now, the Fed's still the Fed's tightening, but it's still providing support to the economy. Um, you know, the, the the Fed has asserted that that an interest rate kind of in the you know 2.4, percent range. The federal funds rate, the Fed's policy rate, they've asserted that an interest rate kind of at that level would be uh, would be sufficient to no longer be be uh, stimulating the economy and supporting demand. That's also, I think, quite unrealistic given how high uh, how high prices are. I think the Fed boosted that estimate with with its release today as well. So, you know, these are all you know communicating to the public. That you know you got it wrong, explaining why you got it wrong, making it clear that you're not going to get it wrong in the same way in the future is important. Having a realistic view uh, of where the economy is likely headed, uh, for example, if the unemployment rate is going to go up, is important. Having a realistic view of uh, what the kind of so-called neutral federal funds rate is, uh, is important. And I think if the Fed can do that, then that will give some confidence to uh, to investors. It'll give some confidence to businesses that the Fed the Fed gets what's happening. The Fed understands the severity of the situation, and that the Fed is is willing to do what it takes to to get prices under control. So over the next year, would it be like something we've seen recently, or something a kind of recession we really haven't seen recently, a mild one? Well, I think I think that remains to be seen. I think it is I think it is unlikely that. The Fed will be able to to engineer a soft landing. Um, I think I think uh, I think the odds of a recession at some point in the next eighteen months are, you know, two thirds maybe higher. I think the severity of that recession is um, is TBD. The arguments in favor of a mild recession are that. There is no real underlying structural problem in the economy right now. We don't have a situation, for example, where people own more houses than they should. Prices have gone up a lot. Isn't that, isn't that dangerous? Prices have gone up for sure. For housing prices have gone up. 
housing prices are primarily driven by uh, market fundamentals. Equity prices had also gone up quite a bit. Equity prices are now down twenty uh, percent, which you know is, is probably a more reasonable uh, valuation. Household debt service ratios are low. Household balance sheets are strong. Businesses are profitable, uh, and so we are in a situation where we can have a kind of textbook recession. The Fed raises interest rates that reduces demand, um, demand goes down, economic output goes down, we're in a recession, unemployment rises, price moderate. What you're describing there, that is not the global financial crisis where there were these structural imbalances. Yeah. And if the result of that kind of recession is what some call a jobless recovery, that's not what you would expect this time around. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think my expectation would be that employment will recover more slowly than that it has from other Fed-induced recessions in the past. But uh, I think that we won't be in a situation where household balance sheets are obliterated, where everybody's you know, net worth has collapsed, uh, uh, where you know, banks are holding on to assets that nobody knows the value of, uh, where the economy has to reallocate uh, uh, a large number of housing units where people have defaulted on mortgages and all this sort of stuff. The, the, kind, the kinds of systematic economic problems that take years to unwind, I don't think we have those right now. And so I think we, have a, we would have a recession where demand would drop because of the Fed. And then when the Fed uh, put its foot on the gas pedal, demand, the demand, demand would come back. And the recession under that scenario would be, would be much more mild. Does a five percent unemployment rate is, does that sound like a lot? Uh, would that be a, a bad recession, or does that sound like a reasonable? Well, I think that would be. I think that would be a relatively mild recession. Um, and I think that's. I think that's what we could have. The concern that 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 I have that is growing um, is that the Fed is so far behind the curve right now, and the war in Ukraine doesn't seem to be ending. My concern is that. Um, that expectations about future inflation uh, on the part of households and businesses are trending in a bad direction and getting worse relatively quickly. And, you know, the Fed can't end the war in Ukraine and the Fed can't do much at all to affect the global price of oil. But if high oil prices are uh, spooking households and businesses and making households and businesses think that we're going to have inflation for a long time and are affecting the decisions that uh, household that businesses are making today about prices uh, as a consequence of those expectations right. then the Fed may have to slam on the brakes a lot harder than it otherwise would uh, and if that's happening at a time when demand is already cooling, as a consequence of high prices, as a consequence of, of the steps the Fed has already taken, you know, then we still would have a demand-driven uh, recession. You know, it's not like we're going to develop a, a financial crisis in the next few months that will take years to unwind. But the Fed could find itself in a position where, in order to get expectations under control, 
it has to to increase the unemployment rate significantly higher than than it otherwise would. If we have a recession, unemployment goes up. What happens to the great resignation or people not wanting to go back to work? If we have recession, they may not have the choice about going back to work. They may not have to worry about resigning. They may be they may be let go. Does that change the entire narrative of the American labor market that we've been hearing about for the past year? Well, I I think the great resignation is is largely a myth. You know, the, the great resignation, you know, I think I think is story like the one you just told, where workers have decided they don't want to go back to work and businesses can't find workers as a consequence. And, you know, workers have decided because of the pandemic, the jobs they had before the pandemic were beneath them in some way or, or not good enough for them to do or, 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 or whatever. And, and they're not coming back. That narrative um, was fueled by the fact that we've had record numbers of workers quitting their jobs every month. Um, and that's and that's that's a fact. Uh, but that's but that's half the story, because we've also had record numbers of workers getting hired into new jobs every month. And instead of a great resignation, what I see is is a, is a big increase in upward mobility. We've had record numbers of workers quitting, record numbers of workers getting hired. And if you look at wage growth for workers who change jobs, it's much higher than uh, wage growth for workers who stay in jobs. And so people are quitting their jobs, they're getting new jobs, and those new jobs pay higher wages. This is a story of upward mobility. Look, I mean, on a very basic level, we've almost completely recovered all the jobs we lost in the pandemic. If you look at employment in February of 2020, we're nearly back to our February of 2020 level of employment. That, that fact alone, I think, um, should make you very skeptical of the great resignation story. If we've nearly recovered all the jobs that we lost, then you know where where are the where are where are all the resignations? But I think in answer to your question, I think the labor market will look will look different. I think we are in a period right now where you know even though employment has has nearly fully recovered, uh, even though workforce participation is finally uh, getting close to to recovering or closer than than, than it has been, there is a a real change in the labor market in terms of the, the kind of r- relative bargaining power of workers. Workers are in the driver's seat right now in a way that's unusual. Why is that? Uh, that's because businesses need for workers is off the charts. Uh, the demand for workers is way hotter than, uh, than uh, that we typically see. Uh, and that, of course, is because consumer demand has been so strong that businesses need need workers in order to satisfy it. I think if we have a recession, and and when we come out of the other end, we will see a much a much more normal level of labor demand, and that will mean that business that workers are in a relatively weaker bargaining position than they than they currently are in, and so you know, workers demanding huge raises, workers demanding to be able to work from home, workers demanding to, you know, have certain amenities or or other sorts of, you know, structures, you know, Fridays off or whatever, all that stuff. Uh, I think, I think right now businesses feel like they have to say yes to all that stuff because they just really need workers. And I think, I think that businesses will, 
it'll be it'll be a little bit more of a of a of a buyer's market in, in the labor market when we come at the other end. Uh, you know, one of the one of the most striking facts uh, about the economy is if you if you compare 2021 to 2019, uh, businesses produced about two percent more goods and services. If you compare 2021 to 2019, they did that with about two percent fewer workers. And so productivity has gone way up. Businesses have figured out how to do more with fewer workers. Right now, they still need all the workers they can they can get their hands on because consumers are banging down their doors wanting to buy their goods and services. When consumer demand cools off, the the kind of know-how and business practices that have fueled that productivity increase aren't gonna aren't gonna go away. They're not gonna be forgotten. Uh, and so we could be in in a situation where where you know businesses regain a lot of the bargaining power they've lost uh, over over the course of the past uh, year or so. So all those unionizing Starbucks baristas better hurry up. Yeah, I think it uh, I think it will be harder to uh, to win a union election. Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. It's always great to be on.